0: Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. Beloved, as we come to God's Word this morning, please turn in your Bibles or in in a pew Bible to Luke 1, and we'll be reading from verses 26 through 38. Let's hear God's powerful, inerrant word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. O gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word how your word tells us of our Savior, how it is focused on your Savior, on our Savior, and how we can have eternal life with him. So we pray, Lord, that as we, as we look at your word this morning, that you would be at work in our hearts to give us a fresh sense of your mercy and grace to us that you've shown to us through Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, our scripture reading today of the Annunciation seems so very, very familiar to us, doesn't it? Think about how many times that you have read it or heard it, how many times you've seen it depicted in children's pageants and Hollywood films, and how many great works of art have tried to capture it, or how many songs have been composed about it. And while it is so familiar to us as a story, yet it seems so foreign to us all at the same time. Not only was it in a different time, in a distant land with a dif- different culture, but even more so, even more so, how can we relate to Mary's situation? After all, it was a once for all, in all, all of eternity happening of all the women who were ever were, she was the sole person to have the experience of being the mother of the Messiah. She had this distinct and singular role in God's plan of salvation, which was never to be repeated again. And even more so, she gets visited by an angel And not just any angel, but Gabriel, who stands in the very presence of the Lord, who was the Lord's messenger to Daniel and to Zechariah, giving them word about his plan of redemption. And he does the same thing for Mary. But how do you relate to that? Yet even though Mary had this mysterious, supernatural experience and even though she was given a great honor, we can find some point of connection with Mary for her experience mirrors our own as followers of Christ. So let's consider a point of connection. We will start by looking at verse 26 where the angel Gabriel peers to her and says, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, notice what Gabriel doesn't say here. At first, he doesn't greet her by her name. He doesn't greet her by her name, but he identifies her rather by what she has received. She is the highly favored one. Or put another way, she is the highly graced one, or one full of grace. Now, the Roman Catholic Church has misinterpreted Gabriel's words and has taught for centuries that Mary, full of grace, meant that she bestowed grace on others as they looked to her as a sort of mediator between us and God. They believe that she, being full of grace, is able to give grace out of the superabundant grace that she possesses. But this is not what Gabriel meant at all when he said that she was highly favored and full of grace. He meant that she was the recipient of God's grace. She had received his favor as the one woman in all of history to be the mother of the Messiah. So think about it. God's plan For salvation, for all mankind, spoken of by the prophets, was now about to happen. All history, past and present and future, all history zeroes in on this one moment, on this one person who will bear the Savior of the world. And we might wonder and ask, why was she chosen? Well, we could say that she was chosen because she had the right family connections. Old Testament prophets said that the coming Messiah would be of the line of David and that he would inherit his throne and reign forever. And as we read this morning, one of the most familiar of these prophecies is Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, which says that a child is to be born, a son is to be given, who is God— and man and who will establish an everlasting kingdom upon the throne of David. And this was not a new prophecy. No, the first prophecy declaring that the Messiah would be a descendant of David and that he would have an everlasting throne was told by the prophet Nathan to David in 2 Samuel 7 when Nathan said, "Your throne shall be established forever." And so it would make sense that Mary would be chosen to be the Messiah's mother because she was a descendant of David. And Luke's gospel demonstrates very clearly that Mary is a descendant of David. For in chapter 3, which many, many see here, a listing of her lineage, while Matthew's gospel lists Joseph's lineage— so that both Gospels make absolutely clear that Jesus fulfills the prophecy that the Messiah was to be of David's family line. He was David's descendant by birth through Mary's lineage, and as well as legally through marriage through Joseph's lineage. And Joseph and Gabriel makes this absolutely clear in verse 32, that Jesus is the descendant of David, and that he will inherit his throne and have an everlasting kingdom. Now, all of that is to say is that Mary was chosen because she had the right family line. Ah, but there's more. Mary not only had the right family connections, she was also from the right neighborhood. Luke records that she was from Nazareth, and so was her future husband, which meant that Jesus would grow up in their hometown, fulfilling yet another prophecy concerning the Messiah. As Matthew records in his gospel, in chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, he shall be called a Nazarene. Well, we also might think that she was chosen because she was a virgin, which she affirms when she says that she had not known a man being yet unmarried and engaged to Joseph. So again, Mary checks off another box in terms of messianic prophecy that the Messiah was to be born of a virgin, which we know of from Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. So Mary fit the criteria for being the Messiah's mother. Right family, right area, and she was a virgin. But is that why God chose her above all other women? After all, there may have been hundreds of women throughout history who met the same qualifications, who had the same background, and who could have also been chosen to be the mother of Jesus. So why was Mary... How is it that she received such an honor? When we think of someone receiving an honor, we usually consider it an achievement, something that is earned through sweat or smarts. But Mary did nothing to receive this privilege. She didn't win a contest or fill out an entry form. It was completely a gift. Something that was totally unexpected, and it was unexpected because it was undeserved. For who was she? By the world's standards, she was inconsequential. She was a nobody, a poor young woman without a penny to her name from a small, obscure Galilean town. And there was nothing, nothing for, about her to warrant such a blessing. Being of such low status, she would hardly be the person that we would expect to be the mother of a king whose reign would last forever. And she herself recognized that she was undeserving of such an honor. Notice, what it's, what, notice in verses 28 and 29 that when she was greeted by Gabriel, she wasn't so much frightened by his appearance as she was troubled by the way he greeted her. It's as if she was saying, what did he say to me? Highly favored one? The Lord is with you? Why, why, that's the way that the Lord spoke to Joshua before he entered the promised land. And that's the way that the Lord spoke to the judges. And that is the way he was with Moses. Why would he say that to me? Why would the Lord be so gracious to me? She reveals her own sense of unworthiness as she sings her song, rejoicing to Elizabeth. In verse 48, what does Mary sing? The Lord has regarded the high estate of his maidservant? No. She sings, The Lord has regarded the low State of his maidservant. She readily acknowledges that she is of no consequences in worldly status, that she is a nobody who has received an astounding privilege. And even more striking is verse 27 where she says, My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary acknowledges that she needs a Savior, that she is not without faults or failings. She is not perfect. And so how is it? How is it that she, a sinner, can be the chosen mother of the Messiah, that the Son of God incarnate would inhabit the womb of a sinner? And so in verse 30, Gabriel calms her fears. And he says, you have found favor with God. You have found grace with God. Why was she chosen? Solely, completely out of God's grace. As Luther pointed out, Mary is the embodiment of God's unmerited favor. And beloved, right here, right here, we find a connection with Mary Brothers and sisters, just as Mary received a miracle, so have you. For if you are trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, you are the recipient of the Lord's supernatural act as one who has received the gift of his grace through faith, just like Mary And just like Mary, who received the baby Jesus in her womb, trusting in Christ, so have you, by that same grace, received Christ in your heart. If Gabriel were to come today, he would greet you, beloved, by saying, Christian, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. You are his favored one, full of his grace. What has occurred in your life is no less than a miracle than the one that Mary experienced. Like Mary, you were chosen to receive Christ before the foundation of the world. In John's gospel, Jesus himself said to his disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to bear much fruit. In John fifteen sixteen. And then Paul makes a similar statement in Ephesians 1.4, For the Lord chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And again, in writing in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says that from the beginning, what? God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And like Mary, why did he choose you? Was there anything about us to cause him to want to choose us? For what were we? Well, he didn't choose us because of our family connections, for we were from the wrong family. We were of Adam's lineage, and therefore we were born sinners, having inherited his sin nature. And because we are all sinners, we could not stand in the presence of a holy God without experiencing the holy terror of his wrath and judgment, for there is no one who does good, no, not one. So we weren't chosen for our family lineage, for we are all of Adam's fallen race. And we were also from the wrong neighborhood from the wrong side of the tracks. In fact, we were across enemy lines because we were all, all enemies of God, hostile to Him. Before God reconciled to us, to Himself through Christ, as Paul writes in Romans 5, we were dead sent against Him and a dead set against his authority over us and his rightful claim over our lives as creator. And not only were were we dead set against him, we were dead. We were dead. Ephesians 2, one puts it so bluntly and plainly that we were dead in our sins. Before you came to Christ... You were DOA, dead on arrival, unable to come to him, dead in judgment. We stood as condemned people, dead men walking, condemned, and that there was nothing, nothing that we could do to make ourselves right with God. And then, beloved, what happened? What happened but a miracle? that the grace of the Lord overshadowed you, that the Holy Spirit came upon you, and that the Lord took what was dead and that he made it alive. And just as he filled an empty virgin's womb with the glory of his Son, so has he filled our empty hearts with the glory of his presence through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he took your dead mind, and he revived it so that you could perceive his word. And he took our deaf ears and made them able to hear the gospel. And he took our lifeless lips and enabled them to sing his praises. Is that any less a miracle than what Mary experienced? And just as the virgin birth was foretold in Scripture centuries before Jesus was born, before Mary was born, so too was your spiritual rebirth. It was foretold millennium before you were born. In Ezekiel 36:26 through 28, when the Lord said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, Those verses are about us. He is speaking about us when he said, I will take this heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart heart of flesh where I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Those verses are our verses that when you read it, think to yourself, this is me right here in this verse that God so loved you that he took you and me, a nobody, a speck of dirt in the cosmos and dead as petrified wood, and he caused his spirit to make you alive, alive to Christ. And just as Mary's privilege was a gift, so too is your faith a gift of his grace. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2, it is by grace, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is a gift that no one can boast. In fact, we could say that our faith in Christ is no less a miracle than what Mary experienced. She received Jesus in her womb. You have received him in your soul. She bore him for nine months. But you dwell with him for all eternity. Is there any other greater miracle than what Paul writes in Colossians 1 27? Colossians this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, that your Creator, your Savior, dwells in you. Jesus received nourishment. From Mary and her womb for nine months. But we, united to Christ, receive spiritual life and nourishment from Him. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me and I in Him, He will bear much fruit apart from me, and apart from me you can do nothing. Now consider this. Jesus, like all men, eventually left home to go off on His own, and At 30, he left his mother's home. And the family business to begin his earthly ministry, and there was separation in his earthly life. But what does the risen, ascended Lord say to us? Lo, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am always with you, even to the end of the age. There is no separation in Christ. In fact, we are so intrinsically bound to Christ, our connection to him so deep that our destinies are intertwined with his. that this is how Paul describes our union with Christ in Romans 6 that when Christ died on the cross receiving the condemnation that we deserved the judgment that we deserved when he died on the cross it's as if we died with him and that when he was raised to new life it's as if we were raised to new life and that when he ascended to heaven and sits now at the right hand of the Father, it's as if we are with him there as well, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. So great is the transforming power of Christ working in you that you are dead to sin, dead to its corrupting power and condemnation. its no It no longer holds a death grip on you, and he made you alive in Christ as a new creation with a new mind, a new heart, reoriented to desire to do his will, and he has given you a new destiny, eternal life, where we share in the glory of Christ so that the words spoken to Mary are words for us. Fear not, the Lord is with you. Christ has vanquished for us the fear of death in his death on the cross, and he has taken away our sins so that we fear not God's condemnation. And since our sins have been washed away, we can say, the Lord is with us. Beloved, are we not the Lord's highly favored ones, full of grace? The gospel is very humbling, isn't it? For there's no room for boasting in any or any sense of self-righteousness. We have nothing to boast in. For what were we? Our hearts were gnarled and dead like rotted tree stump destined for eternal destruction. There was nothing worthy in us in our hellish rebellion against the Lord. We, we were saying to ourselves, we're going to do it our way. And yet completely out of his grace, the Lord gives us eternal value that we didn't earn and a value we certainly didn't deserve He elevates us to new life. And Paul expresses this wonder of this new life in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, where he writes that the Father has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oh, the Father delights in us as he delights in his Son, and we share in, as Paul says, an eternal inheritance with the saints of light. And we who have received the Lord's gracious hand by his work, by his work, by his sweat, by his suffering, so since we have received that from Christ alone, where is there any room or any boasting from us? It is all, all his grace alone so that we can rejoice this Christmas Day, that we have received the best gift ever. Beloved, how does this gift of grace make an impact on your life to know and experience the new reality and relationship that you have with Christ? Beloved, are we not the highly favored ones I think of those who have lost loved ones, and we feel the sting of death most profoundly during the Christmas season. Does not the gospel comfort us in the loss of our loved ones who died in Christ? to know that life doesn't melt into meaninglessness when we breathe our last, but there is life beyond the grave for those of us who are in Christ. And, And for those of us who are in Christ, it is a glorious life where we will be reunited with our loved ones who trust in Christ. Beloved are we not the most highly favored ones How does the gospel speak to us when we suffer affliction? To know that our suffering is not lost on our Savior, who in taking upon himself our humanity, suffered the worst affliction ever on the cross for us. How does that truth bolster us? To know that we are not alone in our affliction, but that our Savior understands what we are going through, And he gives us his presence and his comfort and power through it. Brothers and sisters, are we not highly favored ones? And when we are tempted, how does it encourage us to know that our Savior can empathize with our weaknesses as he was tempted in every way yet without sin? So He understands the pressure and has given us the spiritual resources to battle it. Oh, beloved, are we not the highly favored ones? And beloved, how wonderful it is to know that we are not stuck in the past, but in Christ we are new creations, that we have a new nature, a new identity, and a new destiny in which we are not simply servants in his kingdom, but in Christ's kingdom, we are beloved sons and daughters of our heavenly Father, where we will reign with him forever. Are we not the highly favored ones? So how do we respond to such great a grace but to do what Mary did and rejoice? She sang how her soul magnified, amplified the Lord, and she told Elizabeth how the mighty Lord had done great things for her. And how can we do anything less but to rejoice and to tell others the astounding truth that the Lord has done for us? For we were dead And he made us alive. We were in darkness and he gave us his light. We were deserving of his righteous wrath. But instead we are the objects of his outrageous love. So we can rejoice this Christmas day and every day. Brothers and sisters, this morning we have seen a connection that we have with Mary. In our own experience of receiving God's grace. And like her, we are highly favored ones. He has given us the gift of his grace, our salvation in Christ through faith, chosen to receive new life and eternal life through our union with Christ. And so the question is, do you possess this gift? And if so, do you rejoice in it? Pray with me. O Lord, how can we ever plumb the depths and riches of your grace towards us? That we who were destined for darkness have been brought into your marvelous light solely out of your grace. What can we do in response to such a great grace, grace upon grace, in which you have poured out your favor upon us, but to give you our heart's devotion? and to live lives empowered by the grace that saved us, lives which reflect who you are in obedience to your word. O Lord, we pray for any here who do not yet know your grace that you would be at work in their hearts and minds so that they would receive you as Savior and know you and the eternal life that you give so graciously. We thank you for Christmas when we have this opportunity to remember all that you have done for us in coming to this earth and taking on our humanity so as to bless us for all eternity. We pray that you would now abide with us in a deep and personal way, that we would grow in our love for you and become more like you for your glory's sake. Help us to be your witnesses to a dark world, sharing the light of your grace that we have received from you. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you. And may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.